SoWin TV presents. SoWin TV presents. Hi, everybody. This is Love Him, Love Them with Linda Gunner, where we give hope, touch lives, and change hearts. The Alex Murdoch double murders. Have you guys heard about this? I hadn't heard a word about it, and uh, which goes to show you I'm not in on top of things. Uh, but I want you to listen to these words. But within your own soul, you have to deal with that. And I know you have to see Paul and Maggie during the nighttime when you're attempting to go to sleep. I'm sure they come to visit you. I'm sure. All day and every night. I'm sure. And they will continue to do so and reflect on the last time they looked you in the eyes as you look the jury in the eyes. Welcome. If this is your first time with us, I'd like to invite you. If you're on our YouTube channel, I want you to subscribe and I want you to be sure to comment uh, on all of our episodes back and forth. And also you can learn about us if you're watching through one of our television stations by going to our website, lovehimlovethem.org, and you can reach out to us through that site. We work in the United States and also in the country of Haiti, and our mission is to provide you ways to love him and love them by serving widows and orphans. We have a brand new book out called Miracles with Mommy Linda. You've got to get that book. It will change your life forever because it will show you and it will increase your faith while you read everyday miracles that we have actually been a part of and that we have been used as an instrument in. So today, if you stick with me, You're going to know something by the end of this few minutes together that you don't know right now. I can promise you that. And it will also help you to love him and love them. So the words that I read to you in the opening were words from my new favorite judge. Matter of fact, we have one of the girls that we brought here from Haiti, Radovka. She wants to be a judge. I think I'm going to call him and see if she can intern with him. His name is Judge Newman. And he was the judge in the Alex Murdoch trials. And you know what? I bet I even know somebody that knows him now that I think about it, because that trial was held in Walterboro, South Carolina. And Walterboro is the home of Donald and Retta Lyons. And they were the actual founders of the ministry that we ended up taking over in Haiti with my father's guest house and all of the orphanages and schools and churches and things we had. They are the ones that started that. They are the ones that handpicked the children who were in one of our orphanages uh, after the earthquake. So uh, I just want to go back to some of the words of Judge Newman. And if you're not familiar with the Alex Murdoch trial, I'm going to familiarize you a little bit. And I'm going to tell you how that you end up killing your wife and your son. Uh, Some more words from the judge. A person who's always been so gregarious, a friendly person, caused his life to be tangled in such a web These are his words directly to Alex. And in such a situation that yours has spun into, it is so unfortunate because you had such a lovely family and you had such friendly people, including you. And to go from that to this, now your license to practice law has been stripped away from you. You've turned from from the lawyer to a witness. And now is your opportunity to make your final appeal 
as an ex-lawyer. So Alex Murdaugh was found guilty of murdering his wife and his son. And Murdaugh insisted. He said, I'm going to tell you again. This is at the very end. He said, I respect this court, but I'm innocent. I would never under any circumstances hurt my wife, Maggie. And I would never under any circumstances hurt my son, Paul. And here's, here's what made me just really uh, fall in love with Judge Newman. He said, you know what? It might not have been you. It might have been the monster you become when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opiate pills. And maybe you do become another person. <laughs> I've seen that before. The person standing before me was not the person who committed the crime, though it is the same individual. And we'll leave that at that. Wow. I'm going to tell you the reason I feel like I have the authority, I have the power, I have the ability to speak to you uh, very much so on this topic. I've lived it. You know, the whole reason that we have our ministry is because my very best friend's husband took an AK-47 and shot and killed her. And then he turned around and he picked up a knife and he killed her mother. So my whole life changed. You know, you, 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 you read this thing, you, you hear all of this on the news about this trial, but what you don't understand are the, is the domino effect. Yeah, this guy's going to prison. He's gotten a life sentence. He's, gotten, uh, he's never going to get out. Same thing that happened with my friend's husband. He's gone to prison. He's never going to get out. But they had five kids. <laughs> Those five kids, their lives have been changed forever through what happened. My life changed forever through what happened, in good ways and in bad ways. But what does happen that takes someone who's a successful lawyer, an amazing guy, lots of friends, perfect personality, and now all of a sudden he becomes a monster? Those are the exact words of the judge. You know, Alex Murdoch's family was, they long dominated. Matter of fact, not, they dominated the legal scene in that small South Carolina county uh, for so long. They had to take down, I think it was his uncle or his grandfather's picture was in the courtroom because of the impact that he had made. In the, and they had to take that down during the trial. But for the past six weeks, he was standing on the other side of the courtroom. He was standing trial on murder charges in the shootings of his wife and his son. And he was convicted this past week, and now he's sentenced to life in prison. There were more than 75 witnesses that were called, and about 800 photographs, reports, and exhibits were presented as evidence. You know, I just want to stop there. I am so glad that there was a deal made with the DA. I don't agree with the deal that was made. There's a whole—I mean, I could write a whole book on the actual murder of my friend— um, but I'm just really, even though I hate the way that that all turned out, we did not have to go through a trial. And I, I can't imagine, because I know good and well, because of the, the uh, affluence and things that were happening, that we would have, it would have been all over the news too. But we did not have to do that. So they had 75 witnesses. They had 800 photographs. Reports and exhibits were presented as evidence. Jurors visited the crime scene. They went to the crime scene. Oh, my gosh. I went to the crime scene of where my friend was murdered. It's, it's something that will stick with you for the rest of your life. When you see the—I can still see the blood on the carpet. I mean, those, those things, 
they they don't go away. And those jurors saw that uh, before they started deliberating. But when the closing arguments wrapped up, the judge turned Murdoch's fate over to the jurors, and they took less than three hours to come back with their verdict. Murdoch was 54 years old. I mean, still tons. I mean, I'm sitting in a room with people that are married to people that are in their 80s. There's, that's 30, 40 more years left in his life. He could have received as little as 30 years behind bars, but the judge gave him the maximum, and that's two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. That's what my friend's husband got, two consecutive life sentences. Do you by any chance know about the first murder in the Bible? Do you know who, was, who investigated that murder and who prosecuted that one? Did you know there wasn't any need for anybody to investigate the first murder? But the first murder was of Abel. And God knew immediately who murdered Abel. It's in Genesis 4, 1 through 15. There were no police. There were no detectives. There was no uh, smoking gun. The smoking gun in the Alex Murdoch trial was Snapchat. Do you know that? The way they ended up convicting him was his son was on Snapchat and they heard his voice at the scene of the murder, and they were able to tie that to the whole thing. But they, we didn't have Snapchat back in the days. There was no FBI. There was no CIA. There was Nobody else was there, and there was nothing needed because God knew who committed that crime. Since he is the all-knowing, God knew that Cain murdered Abel, and that is why the Bible has recorded the victim and the murder. And since God is righteous and holy, we can trust God's judgmental decision as well. Cain was, was punished appropriately for his crime. He was no longer allowed to see God. And he was denied access to the Garden of Eden. God was the righteous judge and exacted the correct punishment. I just want to go back one more time to the, to the words of Judge Clifton Newman. But within your own soul, you have to deal with that. But you, you might not have murdered someone. Of course, I'm not trying to get technical with it, but do you know in the New Testament what God equates to murder? Does anybody in the room know? Hate. So in the Old Testament, we got in trouble for murdering people. And in the New Testament, God says, if you hate somebody, it's just as bad as murdering them. What, what is in... What is in your soul? What, where is your soul? <laughs> I mean, when he says, you're going to have to deal with that in your own soul. He's got, he's got a lifetime to deal with that, right? He's going to be sitting behind bars. Not one word was mentioned during that entire trial uh, where Alex said anything about going to church or anything about his faith in God or anything about any relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet I'll bet he is crying out to the Father now. One thing that I watched on an interview with one of the jurors was they were the ones praying. The jurors were praying before they went into the courtroom. The jurors were praying for God to give them this same revelation of what he knew about Cain and Abel. But what did that judge mean when he said, there's two questions I have. When he talked about him turning into a monster, how does somebody turn into a monster? And the other thing is, how do you deal with things in your, what is your soul? Your soul is breathed into you by God. 
you know, Mocha, as much as I love her, that's my bulldog right now. Uh, she does not have a soul. She she acts like she does because she's so cute and funny. But what what is the soul? The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That's in Genesis 2-7. You know, grasping this is a, of huge, huge importance in knowing who you are and knowing why your life is of such great value. I'm going to tell you, I have heard... With having a brand new book out called Miracles and people knowing that you have been an instrument used in miracles, people are flocking to us uh, at the churches, through social media, through emails, through telephone calls. I need your help. I need your help from a miracle. And you know what the number one, the number one issue is? Depression, suicidal thoughts. People have no idea the value that they have. They have no idea the great value that their life is. You know, Adam was created in two stages. There were two steps in the process by which God gave him life. The first was that God formed the man of dust from the ground. God formed the body, and it was made from the dust of the ground. Now, in this way, the man and the woman were similar to the animals. But now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. So, same thing, from the ground. But there was a second stage. In the creation of Adam, which shows why we are different from animals. <laughs> I was just thinking sometimes I wish some people would be like my dog. <laughs> so some animals are a lot nicer than uh than l- let me just not get so sidetracked. In Genesis 2:7, it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathes life into this corpse. And this makes Adam different from the animals. He's more than a body. Adam is a living soul. The soul is capable of knowing God and enjoying God. And it is capable of sinning against God, something that animals cannot do. Did you get that? Animals can't sin. That is at the heart of why God is saying, when he says to us, you are made in the image of God, that's Genesis 1.26, God has breathed life into you, and that will never end. Your soul is the cause of all your sin. That's why animals don't sin. They don't have a soul. And James 1, it says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, I don't know. I do kind of think maybe Mocha does sin now that I think about this because she was supposed to, she will get in that trash can. I was just having a vision last night, or not a vision, but a, a remembering last night uh, when we had chicken. My, my kids are from Haiti and they love chicken legs. Matter of fact, that's the only part of the chicken they'll eat. And so we had chicken legs last night and we they were very, very good, I'm just going to say. And we threw the bones in the trash can and Mocha went right into there. And David was like, we have the little thing that um, vibrates. The, and that's all we say now. David will say, do you want me to get the remote? But she, she was enticed and lured to that trash can because she wanted those chicken bones. And, you know, isn't that funny? She was enticed and lured to those chicken bones. Those chicken bones will kill her. And yet she was willing to risk her life to jump in that trash can. She knew she was going to get in trouble with Mr. David. And she and, and I guess the part she doesn't know is that, oh, that's good. The part she doesn't know is her sin, which we're saying she can't sin because she doesn't have a soul, but her disobedience was going to kill her. 
Because if she got what she really wanted or what she thought she wanted and ate it, it was going to go down through and actually literally rip her apart and kill her. That, ooh, that is so the way Satan works. He lures us even into a trash can. Have you ever seen homeless people going through a trash can? They're allowing that sin and they're uh, being tempted by Satan who's, oh, that's good. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. This doesn't even have Satan in this verse. It says by your own desires. What are your desires? What are the desires that you have that are jacking you up? Mochas are whatever she can find in the trash can. Where does sin come from? James 1.14 is a very important verse in the Bible because it tells us how temptation works. That's exactly what happened to Alex Murdoch, people. He was tempted. It's just something he wanted so bad, which was financial freedom. And because he was fitting to be in a hot mess and going to get in trouble for that, his way out was to make sure that these people died. And then he was going to get the finances from that. He had it all planned out in his mind and thought he was going to get through it. It's, it's luring. It's temptation. Those thoughts, when they come, we're trying to teach this to Merlanda right now. My husband has the best example for this is because he's, he, he's a pilot. When you land, when the thought comes, when you land in the airport, you don't need to have a layover. You can take that. Do not lay over. Do not let that thought lay over. Let it take right back off. And so the thought coming, a lot of us, I think we think once, we, once we've thought it, we might as well do it. And that's not true because the Bible tells us to take those thoughts captive. Temptation comes to us through the world, through the flesh and the devil. The problem is that wherever it comes from, It attaches itself to the soul and our souls. Oh, this is good. Our souls are sticky (laughs) towards sin. Sin wants to attach to our soul. Some of us, that's what our prayer needs to be is detach this thing from me. Take this thing away from me. Get it off of me. Remember those little sticky things that you hang uh, outside where the flies come like they have for picnics? That's what it is. It's like our soul is allowing that sin to stick to us the same way those flies, which, by the way, if you ever have problems with flies, Merlanda can literally catch. I've never seen anybody do this like this in my life. She she catches flies. And the other night she had three of them laying beside the television set. And Mr. David said, what is going on with these flies? And she said, I'm going to bring them back to life. I'm going to raise those flies from the dead. It's hilarious. You just you should come hang out at my house one time. You know, if if our souls were not so sticky for sin, then temptation wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a problem for any of us. If it was pure, then when you saw a house that you can't afford, your soul would say, oh, I can't afford that. I don't need that. And you'd move on. Because of our sinful desires, when temptation comes, the soul receives it. The soul retains it. It welcomes it. It embraces it. And it holds on to it. It might not be a house. It might be an outfit you shouldn't be buying. It might be a, a ring you shouldn't be purchasing. It might be, go. I mean, it's there's. you know what yours is. All of ours are different. The problem is that our souls are not pure. So what happens is you see something, just exactly what happened to Alex. Whatever it is that someone else has and you say, that's what I want. And it sticks. You know, the point I'm trying to make is very simple. Death takes life from the body but not from the soul. You hearing me? When you die, your soul goes to one of two places. One is a great place of joy. 
And the other, according to Jesus, is a place of great torment. There's not a happy hour with an all-you-can-drink bar. It's not an all-inclusive resort where you get all-you-can-eat and all-you-can-drink. No, it's a place of torment. And there is a great gulf fixed between those two places. You can't get from one to the other. Not in either direction. So when it's done, it's done. It's over. There is a heaven to pursue and there is a hell to avoid. (laughs) You have a soul. Your soul can be saved and your soul can be lost. And to lose your soul is the ultimate disaster because it is the only loss from which you can never recover. I'm going to say that again. There is a heaven to pursue and there is a hell to avoid and you have a soul. And your soul can be saved and your soul can be lost. And to lose your soul is the ultimate disaster because it is the only loss from which you can never recover. Do you see now why your soul is so valuable? You know, the other thing that the judge said to Alex Murdi at the end when he continued to deny his guilt and say, oh, I didn't kill my wife, or he actually didn't say I didn't kill my wife. He said I would never hurt her. But anyways, this is what the judge said. It might have been the monster you become when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opiate pills, and maybe you become another person. I've seen that before. When the person standing before me was not the person who committed the crime, even though it was the same individual, and we'll leave that at that. How do we turn into another person, a monster, even if we don't take 60 opiate pills? You know, when my husband went to visit my wife, my wife, there's another story for another day. My best friend's husband, my husband went, I'll say my best friend was murdered. Her husband murdered her. When he went uh, into the prison to visit with him for the first time, and this was right after the murder had occurred, I think two days later, he said, you know, Linda, when I looked at him, it was like I was looking into an empty pit. He said his eyes were not even there. It was as if, like you say, a monster, somebody completely, it was the same body, but it was a completely different person, just empty, just gone. You know, this extremely successful, very well-known lawyer in the Walterboro, South Carolina community allowed greed to turn into murder. How can you be sure not to do the same thing? We ta- I talked to my friend's husband the night before, about 7 o'clock that Friday night before he killed my friend at 5.30 a.m. the next Saturday morning. And somehow between those, those 12 hours, greed, lust turned into murder. What is the sin of greed? You know, greed is simply not being content. <laughs> greed makes you an idolater. And Jesus is clear, you cannot have both God and greed which is an idol, at the same time. Paul says that believers are to put death, put to death greed, which is idolatry. In Colossians 3, 5, the writer of Hebrews urges us to keep your lives free from the love of money and to be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Greed eats away at gratitude and contentment by turning your heart away from the one whose presence with us is our source of true joy. Gratitude for God's presence is the fuel of contentment. Gratitude for God's presence 
is the fuel of contentment. But greed is like a cloud that obscures our view and experience of God. It it keeps us focused on the things of this world, and it turns contentment into craving and gratitude into grumbling for more and more since worldly striving ultimately leaves us unfilled. Greed never gets enough. That's exactly what his problem was. It just, you can't get enough. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. So indulging in greed is like constantly eating snack food. Oh my goodness, I'm just preaching to myself, being drawn toward every vending machine we pass, finding ourselves in the chip aisle of every store, always craving but never really feeling satisfied. Pursuing wealth and possessions is an, is an end in themselves. It's, it's like munching empty calories, which may take the edge off of our soul's hunger for a while, but it'll never be able to truly satiate us. When we're filled by love for God and satisfaction in Him, on the other hand, our desires for wealth and possessions become rightly ordered under His rule. I have a friend, Susan, who's um, ended up getting rid of everything she had, moving out of a huge, huge house into a very small house. She says she's never in her life felt better. Never in her life, because she just gave it all away. When we reject the idol of greed and instead turn towards God, we are freed to work enthusiastically and to enjoy the, the, uh, the rewards of that hard work without being ruled by them. And with this freedom, our eyes are open to realize the contentment over striving, affirming that ecclesi- what Ecclesiastes says, better is one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Greed has horrible, horrible consequences. I mean, he's, he's in prison now. My, my friend's husband's in prison now. The futility of greed was not enough, and it was not enough reason for him to avoid it at all costs. The Bible shares that there are ripple effects when greed corrupts a person's life from the inside out. And the book of Proverbs says that the greedy stir up conflict. They bring ruin to their households. When greed is clouding your vision, you begin to see others as objects to be used. Ooh. That's what he said. He saw his wife and his son as an object to be used to get himself out of the financial situation he was in or pawns to be manipulated in order to get more of what you crave, which makes it impossible for you to love others well. If he loved his wife and his son, that greed would have disappeared. Peter warns even church leaders not to fall prey to greedy mindset in their ministry. When he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So how do you turn into a monster? How does that same body do something that that same person would not have done the day before? How does that happen? Because it's what's going on in your soul. Matter of fact, you know, another thing that says our bodies prosper as our souls prosper. The health of your body. A lot of times when you see people sick, there's something that's happened that's messed up their soul and their body cannot even handle it anymore. You need to do an inventory today. I don't want you to turn into Alex Murdoch. I don't want to turn into Alex Murdoch. I don't want to turn into my friend's husband. But you know what? It's just a click of a button. It's just one little turn. It's just one step. It's what are we going to do with the temptation? 
What are you going to do when those thoughts come into your mind of, hmm, this is how I can get out of this. I'll just tell this. I'll just tell this. I'll just, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. You need to today draw a line in the sand, stop, repent. You know, the same way that we get revival is the same way that we get out of temptation because the Bible says, no matter what you're tempted with, I'm going to provide you a way out. Seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, pray. He will not only heal your land, he'll heal you. And you can avoid becoming that monster. If you're thinking about taking the 20, 40, 60 opiate pills to get out of something right now, don't do it. This is your sign. Save your soul. Look up to heaven. Call out. God will answer you. He will deliver you. This is the way that we can love him and love them and not become a monster and not fall into grief. Coming soon at the Central Park Performing Arts Center in Largo, Florida, the first annual Solwyn Women's Conference. Hear 20 plus inspiring speakers that will transform you, shift you into your divine path. Mark your calendars, ladies, June 21st to the 23rd. Three full days of fellowship, worship, encouragement, and supporting local female business owners. When your soul prospers, so will your health, your finances, and your relationships. You need a lot of time trying to figure it out. You're stronger than you think. God wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to understand the blessing. It's time to be healed in your soul, know your true worth, and be all you were beautifully and wonderfully made to be. Purchase your tickets now for this life-changing event at www.soulwindconference.com. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soulwin, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soulwin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.